Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. This has been an incredible morning so far. Um, super grateful. So I, I wanted to, again, kind of bring up the fact that um, I saw Dave and Barry. They're heading downstairs to our boiler room to uh, pray over you all and pray over this time that God would move in awesome power. Now, I also wanted to bring to light... Um, I don't know if they were trying to be like <laughs> discreet in their being here, but we do have uh, Larry and Joanne Thomas here with us this morning. Uh, the, he, Larry used to be the pastor here. I don't know where he is. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> I was like, they already scooted. <laughs> no, glad you guys are, are here. And again, sorry if you guys were trying to be discreet, but I don't know if Larry can be discreet. Um, but I'm glad you guys are here. Exodus 33 is where I want you in your Bibles. Exodus 33. Guys, we're on week two of our series called A Glimpse of Glory, and we're in this series under the conviction that we become what we behold, right? In other words, kind of like input determines output. Um, We are transformed by what we look at. And so the idea is simply put, like if we are looking at the glory of God, then we will become Glorious. We will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next, just like 2 Corinthians 3 promises us. So as we behold the glory of God, we are transformed by the glory of God. And that's the conviction that we're at. And last week we started on, in this process with figuring out where we begin. And what do we begin with? We begin with simply asking to see God's glory, right? Because if he's going to do it, he's going to do it. Like it's up, it's up to him. All we can do is ask and wait on the Lord to see if he shows up in glory and power, right? So we start by asking, just like Moses did. He simply just said, hey, God, please show me your glory. Let me experience your glory. And yet for most of us, we still don't know exactly what it is that we're looking at, right? Like we hear this idea, hey, we're going to see the glory of God. We're going to try to look at the glory of God and catch glimpses of it, but we don't have a clue what the glory of God's, God is, right? So, so basically what I've done so far is I've told you that there's this treasure out there, this treasure that will like radically change your life. It'll change everything about you when you get to that treasure. And I've given you a map and said, hey, go, <laughs> go find that treasure. Start by asking, right? And yet, there's still room for skepticism because it's like, well, what exactly is that treasure? And if I don't really know what that treasure is, is it really worth going after, right? Because if I don't know what that treasure is, I'm going to kind of, you're going to have to trust me, right? And am I good and competent? I'm not sure about that. You might find out I'm not. But basically, I've, I've given you this treasure map. I've told you there's this treasure and I've said, go, but I haven't told you what the treasure is yet. And yet today, today we're going to discover what that treasure is. Today, we're going to try to figure out exactly what that treasure is that we're going after. And we're going to try to define what it is. By, like, we're going to define what the glory of God is according to what God says it is. So basically, we're defining glory today. And what that means is we are going to be getting quite theological, right? So I believe that all of us are theologians, right? So depending on how high or view, low view of God you have is how you interact with them. I believe all of us believe something about God. We're all theologians, but today we're going to get deep into theology. And so I, I hope, so like fasten on your intellectual seatbelts, but also, also let's, let's get after this and hope that God shows up. My prayer for us today is that in defining the glory of God, God's glory becomes the defining glory of our lives. 
in defining this, that God's glory would be the, the defining glory of ourselves so that we put away all the lesser glories that this world says, hey, these are just as good, but they're, they're not. They're not, they're lying. And so that's my prayer for us today. And we gotta remember what happened last week. We remembered Moses asked, right? He asked to see God's glory. He's asking to see the very thing that we're both trying to define and find, right? So if, if we think about it logically, if Moses asks, hey, God, would you please let me experience your glory? If God says yes, then whatever he shows him is God's glory, right? Think, isn't that like, I think that's a logical conclusion. I can't, I think that's logical. Do you guys think that that's logical? Yeah, okay, good. That, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same logical page here. If Moses is asking, hey, would you show me your glory and God shows him something, then we would have to conclude that, that what God showed him was God's glory. So the big question we're asking this morning is, does God gratify Moses' desire? Does God show up? Does God say yes? Well, let's go to our text. We're in Exodus 33. Exodus 33. We're going to just start in verse 18 where we actually left off last week. Then Moses said, please let me see your glory. God said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name, the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will be merciful to those who I will be merciful to. That's, that's all we're getting to, just one verse. Guys, I like to go slow. I go one verse at a time sometimes, so I hope that's okay. Sometimes it's a full story. Most of the time it's one verse. So today we're just in verse 19. And in verse 18, Moses asked the greatest request that could ever be made of God, right? The greatest request. And, and, and God could have responded whatever way he wanted to to Moses' request. But in showing his own glory, like God reveals something about himself. Does God say yes to Moses' question? Or does he say no? What is it, yes or no? Yes, he's gonna show him something, right? I'm gonna, you, you wanna see my glory? Let me show you this. And he offers something to Moses. So in other words, the greatest request that we could ever ask of God is responded to with the greatest response God could ever offer. Yeah, I will. I will this. I desire this for you. I will show you my glory. God answered yes to Moses' request, right? Guys, we, this means that we don't have a God who like, like when we ask for bread, gives us a rock, right? Like we have, like Jesus described this, right? He said, we, like how many of you get, when your son asks you for something to drink, you give him a scorpion, right? Like, like no, we're good. We're good parents. We, at least know to, how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more so does God? So when we ask God, would you show me your glory? He's not gonna be like, nah, <laughs> I'm gonna keep it all to myself. No, he's like, yes, I am a good father and I love to show you my glory. Which means, which means God doesn't like to keep himself discreet as a distant God that is unknowable as agnostics would describe him to be. Right? We are not agnostics. We don't have to say, uh, we don't know much about God. No, God actually desires to be known. He desires to be sought out. He desires to be in relationship with us and to show us his glory. Is that worth an amen or not? Amen. So God wants you to know him. God wants you to 
experience him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. This is like who he is. So because he says, yeah, yeah, hey, watch this. I'm gonna show you this, right? Because of that, we can logically then conclude that what God says, hey, I'm gonna show you this, that is God's glory, right? So let me, let me start out this morning by, by giving you a functioning definition of the glory of God, right? This is, this is the defining of the treasure, right? What is it that we're going after? This is the treasure that we're seeing on this map, and this is what we're asking for God to show us. This is the definition that I hope to be able to give to you guys. The glory of God is the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. Can you read that with me? One, two, three. The beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. So what we're going to do is we're going to break this down into three main parts. There's some building blocks that we get to this uh, from our passage, and it fits into three different parts. So let's look at the first part. Look at verse, uh, how God responds in verse 19. He says, first, he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. The key word here, goodness. If you write your Bible, circle the word goodness, right? What does it mean, right? Does, does goodness stand in contrast to badness? Like, is God saying here, hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm only going to show you the best parts of me. I'm going to hide the worst parts of me because y'all don't want to see the worst parts of me. No, I'm only, I'm only going to show you the good parts of me. Like, if I were to, to talk to you about how good of a husband I am, like the things that make me a good husband, and fail to tell you all the bad things that make me a bad husband, right? Either you'd be really skeptical, <laughs> like I'm hiding some stuff, or, or we're all just really gullible, Right? No, no, God, this is not in contrast to God's badness. Hey, I'm only going to show you the best of me, which is what we as humans like to do. No, God says, I'm going to show you all of me, and all of me is good. Every part of God is good. So he's not saying, no, there's, no, there's like no badness in God. So it's not in contrast to badness when he says he's saying all my goodness. He's not hiding anything from us. He, when he says this, it's more like, hey, I am going to give you an even fuller sense of who I am that you have yet to grasp about me. I'm going to give you an even fuller sense about who I am that you haven't yet experienced. All my goodness is going to pass before you. But doesn't even the word goodness seem like a little, like, base? Like, don't we use that word too easy? Like, we, I mean, guys, we talk about restaurants and food as good. We talk about friends as good. We talk about uh, co-workers and employees as good. We evaluate them on whether or not they're good, right? We talk about parents as good. Isn't this using a word that's a little bit too mundane for God? Right? What about great? Right? So when we say God is good, like we say, well, God is great because we think good is too low. But not when we actually understand the full meaning of goodness, especially in the Hebrew because right, this was written in Hebrew, right? So we've got the word goodness, and this is basically what the word goodness means in relation to who God is. Two things, the best things and the beautiful things. Let's say that together. One, two, three. The best things and the beautiful things, right? The best things and the beautiful things. So if you write in your Bible, when you've circled the word goodness, write out next to it something like best and beautiful, Best and beautiful. Guys, the best things about God implies 
everything that's perfect about him. Like excellent, everything that is superior, the supremacy of God, things that are without flaw or defect, they're untainted, they are perfect. So that's the best things. And then we get to this beautiful thing. Guys, when we talk about beauty, oh man, it's the things that attract us. It's the things that compel us, like a beautiful sunset, a beautiful story, right? We have this concept of beauty. It's God's attractiveness, the things that are admirable about God. And all of God is admirable. Every part of him, everything is beautiful. Everything is desirable. So we have the best and the beautiful, the best things and the beautiful things about God. So you guys know the song that we sing. Uh, I don't know if we've sung it here yet since I've been here, but you're a good, good father, right? Again, that seems a little bit base if we keep it at just our understanding of goodness. But when we look at goodness as this, like we're singing, God, you are the most excellently perfect, beautiful dad. Everything about your fatherhood is perfectly admirable. Everything. You are a good father. Like that's incredible. It's who you are, God. So this right here is where we get our first building block to our understanding of God's glory. It's God's beautiful perfections. Let's say God's beautiful perfections. God's beautiful perfections. Now let's move on to this second part. We, we see God's response, right? He says, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. To proclaim means to call out and preach. Guys, God's going to preach a sermon. <laughs> He's going to expound on his name. And when we think of names in scripture, we always need to think of character, mission, and ability, right? When we think of a person's name in scripture, it often relates to their character, to their mission, and to their abilities, right? So that's why God gave his son the name Jesus, right? Which means what? Yahweh saves. Jesus is the very character of God. And in his character, he is God saving humanity. That's his mission and that's his ability, right? Yahweh saves. So when God says, I'm going to proclaim my name, I'm going to preach my name to you. He's saying, I am going to tell you all about my character. I'm going to tell you about my mission and my abilities. Everything about me, I'm going to preach to you. It's contained in my name. So, like, if you were to show up on a Sunday morning, walk through these doors, and we have this amazing service like we've been having so far. The Lord showed up. We've been able to pray for one another. We sing these incredible songs. And then I come in here, and I come up, and I grab the mic, and I say, all right, so this morning, I'm going to preach to you a sermon about my name. Would it be worth it? Absolutely not, right? So here's, here's what I'd have to say to you. Uh, my name's Scott Cameron Brud. Uh, Scott means painted warrior. Cameron comes from Kurt Cameron. And uh, Brud means, in Swedish, eats bread. So all I could tell you is I am a painted warrior from Kurt Cameron who eats bread. Dismissed. Have a great week, right? Was that helpful to you? No, because my name is finite, my name only represents a little bit, and I'm not even painted. I don't have any ink on me. So I don't really represent my name well. And my name is really kind of silly. But God's name is infinite. 
Because when he says Yahweh, he's saying I am who I am, and that is infinite. It's actually the Trinity of Trinities. And we're going to talk about it in like a few weeks. And I'm so excited, but we're going to keep going here, okay? He says, I'm going to proclaim my name, the Lord. So whenever you see the word Lord in all caps in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, that is the word Yahweh, right? So, so just, it's God's proper name. So just like my name's Scott, this is Bruce. God's name is Yahweh, right? So that's what he's going to preach. He's going to proclaim his name. And all of his character is wrapped up in his name. And guys, here's the best thing about this. The more we understand God's character, the more we come to trust him. The more we understand God's character, the more we come to trust him. So that's from Psalm 9, verse 10. It says, and those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who actually know the character of our God, oh, they can't help but put their trust in God, right? So knowing God's name means knowing, I did that last week, didn't I? Knowing God's character. Sorry, sometimes I have squirrel moments too, by the way, just so you know. So to bring all of this to full circle, to bring it all to full circle, when you and I get a better understanding of the nature of God, we're getting a better knowledge and understanding of God's name. And when we get a better understanding of his name, we're getting a greater glimpse of his glory. So this is where we get to the second part of our building block on our definition of what God's glory is. And that's this, the beautiful perfections of God's character. Let's say that together. One, two, three. The beautiful perfections of God's character. But now we've got to deal with this third part in here, right? He keeps going in verse 19. He didn't just stop at this. He added something else. He added this, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. In other words, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. As God is saying, hey, whoever I want to show grace to, I'll show grace to. Whoever I want to be merciful to, I will be merciful to, right? Like, like it's my choice. It's my decision. You don't compel me. I compel myself. I'm actually impelled by my own character. As, in other words, again, I think I've said this before. God doesn't owe Moses a thing. He didn't owe Moses anything. Moses did not earn this glimpse. Moses didn't earn the favor of God. God called him out when he was born. Moses didn't do anything to earn God's favor. So, so God can decide to show his glory and his character to whomever he wants. Right? No one is going to tell God what to be, what to do, or how to act. God is God. So God doesn't have to submit himself to our judgments, right? And, and he doesn't have to explain his own judgments to us, right? So this is, this is where you and I come before the Lord and we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to recognize that we've got a God who is so far above us that it's up to him whether or not he's going to show his glory and be in his own character towards us. God doesn't have to submit himself to us. God, in other words, is sovereign. That's what ultimately that word means. His choices and nature are in no way constrained by factors outside of him. So 
it isn't like God is the clay and we're the potter. And we get to say, all right, I'm going to shape God to be this. Because that's an idol made with your own hands. And it's not like God is this beautiful painting on this canvas and we just come up and we say, well, I don't really like that. Let me, let me change this about him real quick and I'm going to paint over this because I don't really care about that either. Guys, we don't get to do that to God. The clay and the canvas don't get to explain to the potter and the painter how to shape and mold and color them. The potter and the painter, they are the authority. And that is our God. He is the authority over who he is, not us. So when we talk about the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character, we have to include that word sovereign. Because he is the one who defines himself, not us. He is the one who compels himself, not us. God is God regardless of how we perceive him or how we reject him or how we accept him. But I'll tell you this, we definitely don't get to redefine him according to what we think he should be. God is God alone. If you get to change who God is, then you've made yourself to be more than God. And guys, I'm guilty of this at times. There are times in my life where I say, no, God, I'd rather have it this way. I'd rather you do this because I think I know better. And I am saying ultimately in that I am putting myself above who God is and how he desires to express himself to me. And that is the original sin, pride. So God is in complete control of the very character that's represented in his name. We don't get to change that about him. Amen? Guys, this is where we get our third building block for our definition, right? So this is where we get to the full definition. The beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. Can we say that together? One, two, three. The beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. So God's response to Moses When he said, hey, please show me your glory. Let me experience your glory, God. His response is basically, yeah, hey, I will show you just how beautiful and perfect my sovereign character is. I'm going to show you how admirably excellent I am. Guys, this is the glory of our God. And Isaiah 6.3 says that the whole earth is full of this. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? Everything in the universe ultimately points to his glory, right? So God is shouting to us in flowers in the fields. God is shouting with us with the beasts of the earth and the birds in the air. He shouts to us in the DNA and the molecules. He is shouting to us in music and in art and in love and in good food and in friendship. He is shouting, hey, see how beautifully perfect I really am. Look at how glorious I really am. And my sovereign character it is. And guys, the loudest that God 
ever shouted to us about how glorious he really is, is in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. We read this verse earlier. Lisa read it to us, and rightly so. Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is the radiance. In other words, he's the shining of God's glory. And then we get to John 1.14. It says, we have seen God's glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father. Right? So if you want to see the glory of God, you look to Jesus. If you want to see the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character, you look to the Son of God. You look at Jesus. And guys, when, you remember the story when Jesus resurrects Lazarus from the dead after having been dead for four days? Do you know what he says in John 11, verse 40? He says, hey, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the what? The glory of God. And then what does he do? Hey, Lazarus, go ahead and get up. Come on. <laughs> You're done being dead. <laughs> right? He calls him out of the grave. He calls them to life. Jesus raises a dead man to life, showing us the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character that death can't even stop who our God is. And guys, oh, for that day when you and I step through that doorway because death has been rendered simply a doorway for the Christian it's no longer painful. It no longer has its sting. Death is just a doorway to take us to our heavenly father. And when we step through that doorway, we're going to enter into this new kingdom where Revelation 21 says, and the city that we're going to be in has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. Why? Because the glory of God gives it its light. And its lamp is the lamb. Guys, this literally means that who God is radiates so brightly that the sun no longer needs to illuminate the world. Guys, this is the glory of God. And every time we catch a glimpse of the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character, we are changed. We are transformed. We are made new every time we see a glimpse and experience the glory of God. So that's, that's exactly what we're after right now. When I say we need to go after glimpses of God's glory, when I say when we, we are transformed by the glory of God, in other words, what we're saying is that beholding God's glory is experiencing the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. So when I say I want to see God's glory, that means that I am, gonna, I am expecting to experience how beautifully perfect God's sovereign character really is. So there are, there are two ways that I want to kind of land this into our lives this morning. And, and here's the first one. So because God's glory is the beautiful perfections of his sovereign character, I know I've said that like 50,000 times this morning, but repetition means memory, right? So hopefully you already remember it by now. But if that's what God's glory is, then do you know what that means for our growth and spiritual maturity? Right? So to behold the glory of God in order to be transformed into Christ's likeness, 
we must reflect on, we must deeply contemplate, we must be caught up in and linger by the fire that is the beautiful perfections of God's sovereign character. We gotta go be near God himself and all that he is. So therefore, the best thing that you can do for your own soul, that we can do for our church family, the best thing that we can do for our relationship with God is to immerse ourselves into those environments that sing about, that study, that debate, that dive into the character of God over and over and over again. So guys, join some small groups. I know we've got a few that aren't meeting, some that are. Join small groups that are dedicated to talking about God's word and God's character. Sing songs that are just like drenched with admiration for the character of God, right? Spend time praying through the characteristics of our God. Listen to sermons that dig deeper and deeper into the character of who God is. Read books. As there's tons of books that talk about the character of God. I'll recommend a few of them to you. Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer, right? Knowing God, J.I. Packer. I could, you, you, there could be more. Just come talk to me. I, I even have some. You can borrow them. Check them out in my library, right? Guys, you will forever remain a spiritual infant when all we pursue is what God can do for us and how it applies to our lives. Does that make sense? So, we will forever remain spiritual infants in our walk with Christ if all that we're looking for is what God can do for me and how his stuff applies to my life. So there are, there are people out there who I, I'm just amazed by their ability to talk uh, through this for life application only. Like I'm amazed by their ability to do that. But they can't hardly talk about the character of God they can hardly talk about the glory of God. And so those kind of people, you know what they come across to me as? Coffee snobs. Coffee snobs. All right, so let me explain myself. Um, so those coffee snobs are the kind of people who have these incredibly extravagant orders when they pull through the drive-thru at the Starbucks. Right? They say something like, hey, I'd like a tall, skinny, sugar-free, decaf, soy latte, caramel mocha, hot, extra hot, whipped cream, double-sleeved. So they've got these incredible orders and they have this appearance of sophistication in their coffee game. They have this maturity in their coffee game or the appearance of it, right? But if you hand them a freshly ground brewed cup of black coffee, they would spit it out. They can't even handle it. They, couldn't, they can't even handle the foundation of the drink itself. They have to coat it with all this stuff. Now, I'm not trying to insult those of you who have those Starbucks orders when you walk through. Like, hey, I love you, and you, you've got your coffee game, and it's strong, right? I'm just, I'm just, it's an illustration, and eventually it falls apart, okay? But we have to be able to enjoy the foundation of it all. We shouldn't have to sugarcoat things in order for it to be enjoyable or for us to be transformed by it. I mean, so if, if all we're going to do is, is kind of wade around in the shallow end of the pool and never actually trek into the deeper end of who God is, we will always remain infants. 
And so that's the first way I, I, I want to land this, and I think God wants us to land it. There's, there's another way, and I think this might get a little bit more personal for, for, for many of us. Guys, I know that there are seasons in all of our lives where like, we're begging God to show up in strong power, to show us his glory and show us his light in like some of the darkest days. And we have these expectations of God that he's going to like swoop in like this caped crusader and just save the day immediately. Like we have these expectations that he's this superhero, that he's just gonna swoop right in, clean up the mess and make everything better. Guys, we expect flashing lights. We expect loud roars of thunder. We expect miraculous displays of power. And that's okay. I think we ought to because we have that kind of God. So when we ask God, would you show me your glory and would you move in mighty ways? We can expect that he does that because he's done it over and over again. But are we content when he just says, no, this is my character. Trust me in this way. I'm doing something you wouldn't even believe if you were told. Guys, we expect God to come in like walking on water, calming the raging storm around us, healing the deeply broken places of our lives when we ask to see his glory. When in reality, when in reality, God can show you his glory in a simple whisper reminding you of who he is. And will that be enough for you? So when you are in the darkness, when you're wrestling with your own thoughts and you are reminded in that dark place, maybe in a season of great depression for you, and you are in that season reminded of God's fierce love as a father. Don't move on from that and say, yeah, God, I already know you love me. I already know you're my father. I need you to fix my problems. Don't move away from that. No, stay in that sweet place because God is reminding you yet again of how glorious he is and he's putting it in the context of suffering. Stay in that. Stay where he says, hey, remember, I love you, my child. Daughter, you are loved by me. Son, I love you fiercely. Will that be enough for us if God doesn't show up in pillars of fire? Or when you're wrestling with habitual temptation in life, right? And, and, and the sin just continually ensnares you and you keep asking God to remove the temptations and his response is to say, hey, I am the water of life that can satisfy your soul. Don't say to God, hey, God, I know that. That's fine. Just get rid of the temptations. No, 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 no. Stay there because he is giving you a glimpse of how desperately you need to choose him over those petty things. Or when you're like in the hardest financial times that you've ever experienced, which may be literally right now for you. If you are in the hardest financial times that you've ever been and you're expecting God to show up as this miraculous provider and instead all he does is say, hey, I'm the rock of your life. 
I will see you through this. Will that be enough for your soul? Will that be enough for your faith? Because you're catching a glimpse of glory there. Or when, when, you've, lost, when you've lost your spouse, or you've been waiting for one to show up for too long, And instead of God swooping in and saving the day, all he simply does is say, hey, my friendship is sufficient for you. Will that be enough for your soul? Because those are all glimpses of God's glory. Don't move away from them. Embrace them. Run to them. Remove the expectations that God's glory has to come always in rushing fire when simply you could come in a whisper and find contentment when God says, my glory is enough for you. So I was kind of wrestling with how to finish this message this morning and, and I actually was reading a little bit of J.I. Packer's Knowing God and he starts out by quoting a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached in I think 1855 on January 7th. Spurgeon said this in his sermon. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go plunge yourself into the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed and invigorated. I know nothing which can comfort the soul so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. Brothers and sisters, I am begging, let's dive deep into the person of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come before you and we are humbled because I think right now, many of us are kind of looking back on, on those seasons in life where we expected you to do something so miraculous and powerful and then, and then there was just this whisper that said, hey, my grace is sufficient for you because I am gracious. And we look back on that and we, we realize that we found our souls not okay with that, that we wanted more. So God, we confess that is wrong. We confess that we want to walk this safe balance between having the greatest expectations of what you can do in awesome power and yet also at the same time being content whenever you just simply say, hey, I love you. I'm with you in this. This is who I am. God, I pray by your spirit, you would pour out more and more glimpses of your character, especially in the darkest seasons of life. And God, I do pray for those here this morning who are in those really dark seasons with a certain diagnosis that may have come, with uh, the loss of someone that they've loved so deeply, with, with addiction to things that are destroying them, and destroying relationships around them. God, would you cause us to set our eyes on you? 
Our eyes are fixed on you, God. Would you show us your glory and satisfy our souls with either the greatest acts of miraculous wonders or the simple truth that you're our dad who loves us more than we could ever imagine. God, we do love you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I'd um, ask for you all to stand as we close out our time together and receive the morning's benediction. And if there is anybody who would like to be prayed over, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be down here. I'd be glad to pray with you over anything that's causing anxiety or fear or terror, whatever it may be. But let me pray over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace both now and in the world to come. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.